again. And we are starting a new series this morning. It's called Relationships. And uh, we all have them, do we not? We all have them, do we not? Some of you are not that happy about them right now. But be that as it may. Now, for those of you that are uh, visiting today and those of you that are new uh, to the Bible, we are looking, beginning today actually, uh, from the book of Genesis. And uh, so I want you to open your Bible. So if you're new to the Bible, go to the very first, um, go to the very first uh, book. And we are going to be in Genesis chapter 2. And so I want everybody to stand. And uh, we are going to read... Um, in just a moment. So we're going to be talking about relationships. Now let me just tell you where we're going to go. Um, Next week, Pastor Sherry is going to be uh, speaking during Mother's Day, and uh, she's going to take us on a relational journey of the book of Ruth between Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi. And then following that, we're going to talk about conflict. After Mother's Day, not intended to be put together there, uh, we're going to talk about how to get along, how to, uh, how to resolve conflict. And uh, following that, then we're going to look at the uh, most relationship's most important skill, and we'll sort of touch on that today. And then after that, we're going to talk about three emotional risk-takers from the New Testament. And then on Father's Day, we're going to talk about dads and their relationships. And then finally, we're going to conclude the series on the Sunday after Father's Day, uh, talking about the relationship in and with ourselves. Now, we just have one verse this morning from the book of Genesis, and uh, I am going to get you to read that. Then the Lord said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. It is not good that man, humanity, people, should be alone. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you again for the living Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you today for the power of the Holy Spirit that, Lord, you would give us ears to hear, minds to comprehend, hearts to understand, and particularly, as we go out from this place, may we go out in the power of the Spirit. And may we live out in meaningful, tangible, physical ways in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in the places where we get our education, in the places where we work and where we recreate, and anywhere else that we go. Lord, that we would be authentic followers of Jesus Christ. And we ask this in Christ's name and for his name's sake. Amen. Why don't you be seated? Now, Preaching a series on relationships has some occupational hazards attached to it. The first one is that people who are listening somehow begin to think that the person talking is, in fact, the expert. Worst yet is that I would think that I'm an expert. And i got to tell you that in the first case, you should not think that. And in the second case, I do not think that. So let's begin and talk about relationships from Genesis. Now, the context of creation tells us this, that we are created to be relational. That being human means that we are made 
in the image of God. And God is the ultimate relational being. And this is something that we forget, that God is one in three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in that Godhead, in God, there is a perfect relationship. So a part of being made in the image of God is being relational. Matter of fact, we could probably even go so far as to say this, that we are only fully human when we live out and reflect the relational nature of God, particularly in our lives as Christians. In other words, you and me, you and I, we were made for relationships. All of our lives are about relationships. From beginning to end, we spend our lives relating to one another. And these relationships can be the most fulfilling things in our lives, or they can become the most frustrating experiences of our lives. And the truth is that often how we feel about our lives is often connected to how we feel about our relationships and how our relationships are actually going. Now, relationships are not just a nice thing, and they're not an optional thing. We are designed to be relational creatures, to live in community and to live in relationship with each other. God made us that way. Now here's something interesting. Before there was ever a problem in creation, before there ever was a sin, before anything ever went wrong, the only thing that God said that was not good was that we should be alone. It's not good. Now, I know, of course, that we talk about Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, the text that we just read together a moment ago, and we think about it in the context of marriage, but I want us to kind of move beyond that this morning and over these next six weeks because this text out of Genesis is really about being relational to the core, to our core, that we are inherently relational. We have an inherent and intrinsic need for community and for fellowship. A couple of years ago, I was reading a book by Mark Driscoll called The Great, oh sorry, The Radical Reformation. That's right, The Radical Reformation, not Reformation, Reformation. He says this, playing cards as a social activity is down 25%. My dad would be delighted with that statistic, by the way. The number of full-service restaurants is down 25%, and bars, luncheonettes, and coffee bars are down 50%, but fast food outlets have increased 100%. As more people eat alone, and eat alone in their cars, in their vehicles. Family dinners are down 33%, and having friends over for dinner is down 45%. But 
the amount of time spent caring for a pet is up 15%. And the next one is encouraging as well. The amount of time spent on personal grooming is up 7%. And Driscoll goes on to say this. He said, isn't it odd that we are apparently becoming a nation of attractive people who sit at home alone at night with our pets, watching TV shows about relationships, and taking medication for the depression brought on by our loneliness. Meanwhile, our neighbors, whom we do not know, are spending their evenings in much the same way. So the question is, why are we doing this? Now, there's a lot of answers to that question, why are we doing this? One is unhealthy individualism. Now, unhealthy individualism is when the I, me, is more important than the we, the community. And my rights supersede the rights of the whole. Robert Bella, in a book called Habits of the Heart, wrote this. Individualism lies at the very core of our culture. We believe in the dignity, indeed the sacredness, of the individual. Anything that would violate our right to think for ourselves, judge for ourselves, make our own decisions, live our lives as we see fit, is not only morally wrong, it is sacrilegious. Now, as I said a moment ago, unhealthy individualism is when I and my rights are over top the rights of we and the group. That the individual is more important, not only more important, but always more important and above the group. And one person referred to this as the, quand the commitment quandary. The commitment quandary trying to build meaningful relationships and lasting community in an individualistic society. Another reason why we are the way we are and becoming increasingly alone and lonely is the contradiction of technology. Now, there's a lot of good things to be said about social media. A lot. But there are some serious downsides as well. For example, take the word friends. Friends. Now, someone on Facebook will tell us that I have hundreds if not thousands of friends. Well, there's a couple of things we need to talk about here. First of all, it is a fallacy to think that any one person has that many friends. Number two, it is not possible for a human being to accommodate hundreds and thousands of friends. Matter of fact, in our lifetime, at best, we have between two to five friends. 
we can only accommodate two to five friends, and everybody else is an acquaintance. And by the way, if you go through life and you've got two or three people you can actually call real friends, you are incredibly blessed. But third and worst is that this idea creates an illusion. The illusion that we are that well thought of and that we are that well liked. It is a game of illusion. Nobody likes me that much. And by the way, nobody likes you that much. But I think another thing we need to talk about, just glaze over if we can for um, a minute, as it, comes to, as it comes to us as Christians in social media, is the issue of gossip. And it gets quiet. The question that we as Christians need to ask ourselves and answer in relation to social media is this. Am I adding to the rumor mill? And am I adding to the gossip thread? I'll move on and talk about the other contradiction of technology is mobility. Mobility or upward, upper, upward mobility. Because we live in a world where it is easier to move from our families. How many of you in the room, how many of you in the room have adult children who live and work in another community other than Sudbury? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Okay. How many of us ourselves live away from our parents and our extended family. Case in point. The other thing that becomes a reality of upward mobility is that people actually move away from where they work. When we lived in Barrie, 34% of Barrie commuted south every single day. At 4 o'clock in the morning, it was not unusual to get on the 400 and all you could see is red lights going south bumper to bumper. What that does is that actually adds time to our work equation. And so the problem is we become busier than ever and so we have less time to invest in relationships even if we wanted to. Another contradiction of technology is computers. Now, I love computers, and I love all things Apple. You know that. But computers were designed originally to reduce work time. They were supposed to give us more time for relationships and more time for recreation. But we have learned that they've actually done the exact opposite, right? So on Wednesday... On Wednesday, I decided that I was going to go to Starbucks and get a coffee before I went to work. And I got over there, and I realized that they had a brand new blend. Single origin, it's called. And it is spicy to the smell. It goes down smooth, no aftertaste. So I said, I think I'll try the new blend. And the, the server turns around and tries to pour me a cup. The thing is empty. 
She turns to me and she says, it'll take me four minutes to brew a fresh pot. Do you want to wait? And folks, I, I had to think about it. Four minutes. I had to actually pause for station identification and I had to decide if I wanted to wait a whole four minutes. I said, okay, I'll, I'll wait four minutes. So I'm waiting my four minutes. What do you think I'm doing while I'm waiting my four minutes? I pulled out my phone and I checked for emails, which I didn't have any, and text messages, which I didn't have any. So I thought I would go over to the news feeds, which I had some. Folks, I am becoming a crazy person. Even when I have time, I spend it on my personal device doing private things. So what does this say about our present, current cultural climate? Many things. But what does it say to us as Christians? What does it say to us as the body of Christ? Or, if you will, the community of Christ, the church. Here's what we need to know. God never intended by creation for any of us to be alone. And God never intended for any of us to live the Christian life alone either. The Bible's idea of community challenges us to move beyond our self-interested, self-absorbed isolation of our private, individual lives and beyond our superficial social media contacts. The Bible's idea of community asks us to be committed to a life together as the people of God. And when we do that, the Bible's idea of community is a way to see Christ in each other. It becomes a source of accountability and guidance. And i got to tell you folks, I have never found anything more effective to becoming a victorious Christian and overcoming habitual sin than it is to be accountable. The Bible's idea of community is a place to pray and to worship, a place to serve. And I've got to tell you again, I can find no better place for us to serve than in and through the body of Christ. It is a, we are to be a witness to the world. The Bible's idea is that we are to be ambassadors of God's love to those who are far from him. And the Bible's idea of community is a call to live in relationships. Quite simply, it makes the gospel a lived reality. God created us, me and you, us, to have meaningful and fulfilling relationships. But let's 
bring it home for a moment. Let's bring it home. The truth is that we all live in two worlds. And the two worlds that we live in is this. Some of our deepest joys and some of our most painful hurts have come because of relationships. There are times where we wish we were alone and could live alone. And then there are times that we're glad we don't. We are all shaped for relationships, good and for bad. One person said that all relationships are either curse-based relationships or grace-based relationships. Curse-based relationships are performance and condition-based relationships. In curse-based relationships, people push and manipulate each other to get what we want. Shame and blame and guilt are used on one another and the end is to get performance and that's all that matters. And love is conditioned upon that performance. I will love you if is not love. I will love you upon a certain condition is not love. Now, I want you to put your seatbelt on for just a moment because some of us may feel a little jarred and a little uncomfortable. Grace-based relationships are different. In grace-based relationships, we recognize a number of things. First of all, that life is messy. I once read a book by Douglas Copeland called All Families Are Neurotic. And I've met you all, and he's right. Mine too. My, my, my parents' family, I mean. Mine too, seriously. What we realize in and recognize in grace-based relationships is that life is messy. And not only that, but our lives are messy. We're messed up. I know that we all look prim and proper here today, and we got the right smiles and all that kind of stuff, but, but we know, don't we, honestly, our lives are a mess. And our relationships, because of that, become messy. And because life is a mess and we're a mess, our community often becomes very, very messy. And a good step toward offering grace to each other is accepting the fact that relationships, community, the church, will always be messy. Now let's be honest for a moment. You okay? Let's be honest. Sometimes we are naive. And we enter into relationships. Friendships, marriages, the church, life groups. Assuming that people are going to live up 
to our expectations. Which, first of all, they cannot. We cannot live up to your expectations and you up to mine. And when people don't live up to our expectations, we want to bail. We want to run away. But having a foundation of forgiveness, grace, acceptance, and love can go a long way to push through the messiness. Yours and mine. So since we are all messed up, and everyone we will ever have a relationship with at whatever level is also messed up, forgiveness is always required. Forgiveness is essential to our relationships. Forgiving each other comes from a deep sense of our own need of being to be forgiven. That God's forgiveness of our sins is our motivation and it empowers us to forgive in the toughest of circumstances. Paul said in Ephesians, Be kind to one another. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. The most important skill in relationships. Now you talk to counselors and you talk to marriage counselors And they'll tell you that the most important skill in relationships is communication. you got to know how to communicate. Here's the problem with communication of what I'm saying and what you're hearing because everything you're hearing is filtered through your life, your mind, your journey, your experience, your circumstances. Which means that 20% of everything I just said in the last 20 minutes you misinterpret or misunderstood. Now think about that in marriage. That everything you say to your spouse, 20% of it gets totally misunderstood or misinterpreted. The most important skill in relationships is not communication. It is forgiveness. The ability to give it and the willingness to receive it. And sometimes forgiveness is hard to live out because we are ultimately selfish people who would rather focus on our own offenses and our own hurts and our own pain. But in order to move beyond ourselves, beyond our own pain, our own offenses, and our own needs, we're going to need the gospel to do so. What makes grace-based relationships possible for us as Christians is the transforming power of God. Folks, we're not trying to do this out of our own ability. We're not trying to do the best we can. There's another power at work in your life and in my life and in our relationships and in our community. Well, at least there should be. And if there's not, folks, if the gospel of Jesus Christ and the transforming power is not at work in this community of faith, 
If it's not at work in my life and your life, then we are just another social gathering. Now, at the same time, we should not think that base, grace-based relationships will always come easy. That's unrealistic. That ultimately, as sinful human beings, we cannot accomplish these types of relationships on our own, but we can through God's transforming power. Here's one of the fatal flaws in human wisdom. One of the fatal flaws in human wisdom is that we think that we can fix our relationships and we can actually change our world without changing ourselves. And when that attitude reigns, we end up settling for far worse than God designed and God intended for us. Timothy Lane said this, In our human wisdom, we settle for relationship detente. I had to look it up too. It means settling, it means letting the tension out of our relationships and being comfortable with just the tension being dealt with and not really dealing with the real issues. Sort of smooth everything over. So in our human wisdom, we settle, he says, for relational detente. But God wants to bring us to the end of ourselves so that we can see our need for a relationship with him as well as others that every painful thing we experience in relationships is meant to remind us of our need for Him. And every good thing we experience is meant to be a metaphor of what, can only, of what we can only find in Him. So grace-based relationships helps us to see one another through God's eyes, and for the value that each one of us has irrelevant of how we act. Grace-based relationships enables us to forgive when we hurt and are disappointed. Grace-based relationships calls and empowers us to offer forgiveness and mercy to one another. And finally, Grace-based relationships anticipates that all of our relationships, all of our relationships, those closest to us of our, our spouses, of our families, of our close friends, our relationships with those in the church, our fellow brothers and sisters, those who are not yet followers of Christ, and, and those who are even far from God, grace-based Relationships anticipates that all of these relationships can take place because of God's transforming power. That brings us then to communion. Communion. It is the table where we gather together as the body of Christ. I want you to stand for a moment. And I want us to read, before we even begin communion, and I'm going to ask the ushers to come and get in place, but I want us to read
Hang on, let me get here to the communion text. I went backwards instead of... Here we are. I'm going to read the blue. Does that look blue to you? And you're going to read the white. But I want you to listen to what the communion text says. And I'm going to tell you a story. And then the worship team is going to lead us in worship and we're going to share communion. This is what it says. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread... And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine themselves then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning, the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Read this. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Isn't that a powerful text? I want you to be seated. Let me tell you a story about a friend of mine. A friend of mine was telling me, actually one of the pastors here in Sudbury, we got together because Mike Gordon at Cornerstone is leaving uh, Cornerstone and going to uh, Brandon, Manitoba. So we, we wanted to get together and just kind of have lunch and just kind of um, say goodbye to him. And, um, and uh, Brent Hittenroth from Mark's Day told me this story, or told us this story. He said when he was a kid growing up in the church in Windsor, which was what, University Gospel Temple then, he said the pastor that was there, a guy by the name of Jack Council, some of you might recognize this name, and you've got to know Jack Council. He's very, he's got a heavy boot. He doesn't mess around. And uh, there had been some squabbling going on in the church at University Gospel in Windsor. And Pastor Council decided in a, in a morning service he had enough of this. And he got up in the pulpit on, on Sunday morning and he said to the people, He said, a number of you, your lives and relationships are out of order. And you're squabbling and gossiping and talking and getting on in an un-Christ-like manner. And he said, this is what we're going to do this morning. He said, I'm not going to say another word. And the worship band is not going to sing a song until you guys get your act together. And in those days, of course, everybody sat on the platform. He went back and sat in his chair, and he waited. And he waited 20 minutes. Can you imagine? And after about 20 minutes, 
There was a sound of weeping here and here and here. And individually, people got up and walked across the platform, front, back, back to front, and in tears made it right with each other and, of course, with God. Now, I'm not going to do that this morning, so you're all relieved. But I don't have to. Because if Ruth and I are out of relationship and our relationship is out of whack, I don't get to come here until it's made right. If I have something against you, I have no right to be at the table. And so here's what I will say to you. If you've got something against somebody, you may want to get up and make it right. Or you may want to not do communion this morning and you may want to this week sometime or this month sometime before we do communion again, you may want to get it right. Folks, we are a mess. The body of Christ is messy. That's why I need forgiveness. That's why you need to give forgiveness. That's why I need to give forgiveness and you need to receive forgiveness. So I'm going to invite the, uh, the ushers to come and they're going to find their place here. And as they find their place here, we're going to do what we've done in the past. And I don't mean to put anybody on the spot, but I'm going to get you to get up out of your seat and I'm going to get you to come down and take the emblems from one of the ushers, one of the stewards here. And uh, when you're ready, and then go back to your seat and you can take communion there or you can do it right here. It doesn't matter. But this is the body of the Lord that we celebrate. So let me pray for you. Father, thank you that you love us and so extravagantly and so generously and so graciously exhibited it in Jesus Christ. And thank you for the Holy Spirit again that takes everything that you've accomplished in Jesus and made affordable in Jesus that through the Spirit makes it applicable and available in our lives. But you call us to be a people in forgiveness. And so as we gather around the table today and as we come and we take communion, as we examine ourselves, may your grace abound to us. May we know there's no need to be in disarray. First of all, forgiveness is available from each other and from you. So we give you praise and we give you thanks. In Christ's name, amen.